Hello, friends, and welcome to the Capital City Christian Church Podcast. My name is Chris, and I'm so glad that you're tuning in with us. If this is your first time listening or you'd just like to reach out, feel free to shoot an email to hello at capitalcitychristian.org, and I'd be glad to talk with you. I don't know what kind of TV shows or movies or how often you watch them, uh, but you've probably seen something portraying demons and Satan. Sometimes you'll see a cartoonish devil on your shoulder, or sometimes you'll see a powerful demon basically defeat the forces of good in a movie. But as with most things, what we watch isn't an accurate portrayal of real life. You see, Satan and his demons do exist. We'll see a story today written by a guy named Mark about a time that Jesus encountered a demon-possessed man. We'll see that demons are very, very powerful, but there's only one powerful enough to stop them. Here is our senior minister, Dr. Stephen Doc Pattison, talking about Jesus' power over demons. We're going to some weird stuff, really weird stuff. I found three tidbits last week that, uh, that might surprise you. Here's the first. Even though more and more people are questioning the existence of God, especially the young, it seems that more and more people are beginning to accept the possibility of demons, especially the young, which is weird, you know, less and less God and more and more demons. Although I suppose if you believe in nothing, the more apt you are to fall for anything. Now, this article I'm going to show you is a few years old, 2013, but here's what it says. It says, even though fewer and fewer people attend church, the idea that there are these invisible, non-corporeal entities called demons that can either take partial or complete control of somebody, that seems to be growing. It's kind of weird. And then there's this one, another article. I saw this one that says that belief in Satan and demons can be harmful to your mental health. It's not that people who are more messed up tend to believe in demons. It's they say that if you actually believe in demons, it can mess you up, which explains a lot about some of you guys. Anyway, the study seems to me to be totally irrelevant because it really doesn't matter whether what you believe is going to mess you up. What matters is whether what you believe is true, right? Here's one more. This one I actually found kind of funny. Here's the, here's the title. The devil, seriously? How can people believe the manifestly absurd? And the guy who writes this article is annoyed that 57% of Americans, he says, actually believe in the devil. And here's his quote. He says, only a completely uninformed, poorly educated mind with little knowledge of things like evidence could believe in the devil. In other words, you're really messed up. He says, the two largest religions in the world, Christianity and Islam, teach there's a devil. And he says, they're wrong. He says, there is no evidence for such a thing, not a shred. Really? He says, it's simply something that germinated from unscientific, irrational minds, early humans who tried their best to explain why bad things happen to good people why good people sometimes do bad things and why there's so much needless suffering in our world. So we made them up, he says. Well, what do you think? Where are you on this stuff? Most of you guys believe in God. Not all of you, but most of us do. And I suspect that most of us believe in Satan and demons I believe there's probably even more confusion about Satan and demons than there is about God. Some of you guys are absolutely terrified 
of Satan and demons. You've seen too many movies, right? Like Rosemary's Baby, The Exorcist, The Omen, Conjuring, Insidious, things like that. Some of you guys just love going to a movie that's going to keep you up at night for the next two or three weeks, right? And then there are some Jesus followers who think there's a demon under every single rock. Every time you feel tempted to sin, that's a demon. Every time you stumble and fall, a demon made you do it. Any of you old guys remember Flip Wilson? <laughs> Others think that demons are bad guys, but they're only slightly more powerful than most humans. If a demon tries to take on someone like Jason Stratham or Dwayne Johnson or even Ronda Rousey, he might get his tail kicked, right? You see that in the flicks on occasion. Others turn Satan and demons into jokes. They're almost cartoonish. There was even a television show in which Lucifer was the hero. Any of you guys see that one? <laughs> Maybe the best line in what my son thinks is the greatest movie ever, The Usual Suspects, it's this line. He says, maybe the greatest trick the devil ever played was to convince the world that he does not exist. Well, maybe we have to modify that now. If he does exist, he's not that powerful or he's not that bad. Hmm. So, what about you? You believe in a demon? You believe in Satan? Not a symbol of evil, but an actual creature of God who is at war with God. Do you believe in demons, minions of, of Satan who can do whatever they will do to nudge you to sin or to tug you away from God? A lot of people aren't sure, so we're kind of mystified when we run into a Jesus story about some clash that Jesus had with a demon, like the one we're going to look at today. These stories feel unreal to us because we've never seen anything like the Bible describes. And so some people wonder whether these are simply vestiges of an archaic, superstitious religion that resorts to mythological creatures to explain things we don't understand. So do you believe in Satan? Do you believe in demons? Well, let me flip it around on you. Why wouldn't we? Why wouldn't you? Truth is, we believe in a whole lot of things that we can't prove, right? Why wouldn't you believe in Satan and demons? And maybe some of you are going to push back. Well, it's because it's illogical. It's irrational. In this day and age, there's no scientific evidence for their existence, is there? Well, let me throw it back at you. Why is it irrational? Why is it illogical? Why would it be irrational to believe in a devil and demons? Now, if you are absolutely certain that God does not exist, then it's rational for you, logical for you to reject demons too. But I'm telling you guys, you can't prove there's no God. It's not possible to make a rational case that God does not exist. In fact, I would hold that it takes more faith to disbelieve in God than it does to believe in him. So if you're going to acknowledge the possibility of a personal supernatural God, wouldn't it be kind of crazy to deny the possibility of a personal supernatural evil? Bottom line, if you believe in God, you have to at least be open to the possibility of Satan and demons, whether you've ever seen one or not. That would only make sense. So now, for now, here, let's say it's true. Let's say it is. 
Maybe what we need to start with is just to define some terms. What is a demon anyway? You see, some people think demons are just the spirits of bad people who have died, right? Uncle Jack was a hellraiser a few years ago, so after he died, his spirit's hanging around just kind of pinging on people. Kind of like a lot of people think that's what the angels are. They're the spirits of good people who have died, right? It's not what the Bible teaches. When you kind of stitch together the different things you find in the Bible, you learn that before God ever created the heavens and the earth, before any of this came into existence, he created angels, powerful, supernatural creatures. Why wouldn't he? And apparently he gave these angels the same kind of freedom that he gives to us. And apparently some of those angels use that freedom to push God away. We learn that the greatest of the angels was not content to serve God. He wanted to be served. So he led a rebellion. And a third of the angels followed him. They were defeated. They were cast out. The leader's name was Lucifer. We also call him Satan, which literally means the adversary, because that's what he is. And the fallen angels who sided with Satan, with Lucifer, are demons. They're angels gone bad. They still hate God, and they're still at war with God. And because they are not strong enough to defeat God, they go after whatever God loves, which means they go after us. See, that's where we come in. When God created us, he created human beings in this world as hybrids. We're kind of hybrids. We live with one foot in the physical world, and of all the creatures of the earth, we can step with our other foot into the spiritual world. We can participate in both sides. And because of that, we have become pawns of Lucifer's war against God. He can't hurt God, but he can hurt God by hurting what God loves. He can hurt you, he can hurt your kids, he can hurt your friends, your neighbors, and he does. Very important verse in the Gospel of John. Jesus says the thief, Satan, Lucifer, all the demons who work for him, they come to steal and kill and destroy. And Jesus says, I've come that you might have life, life to the fullest. Now, my preaching partner's Randy. He's the guy you saw on the bumper a few minutes ago. He explains their role in this way. He says their job is to infiltrate, to contaminate, to dominate, and then to devastate. Infiltrate, they crawl into the cracks that we open up for them. They contaminate, they pollute, they corrupt everything they get their fingers on. They dominate. Evidently, they get more and more control over us over time, and then they will try to destroy us and those we love. Which is why it's really, really important to say to no to temptation the first time you feel it. Because if you don't say no that first time, there's this infiltration. And after you succumb to that sin, you feel dirty, you feel, feel polluted, you feel contaminated. You guys know exactly what I'm talking about. And the next time you feel that temptation, the easier it is to say no to God and the yes to sin. And eventually it owns you. And after it owns you, it'll devastate you and those you love. 
You have seen it and you have felt it. Let me tell you guys, it's bad enough to be at war. What's way worse is to be at war and not even to know it. There are forces that are trying to pull you away from God. And if you don't recognize that, you're kind of going into this war blindfolded. And here's what they do. They minimize sin on the front side and they maximize sin on the back side. Let me tell you what that means. Let me see if this has happened to you. They minimize the sin on the front side. Everybody's doing it. It's not a big deal. You're not going to be hurting anyone. It's your life. No one gets to make rules for you. It's nobody else's business. So you go for it. You do that thing. And what happens afterwards? There's this overwhelming guilt and shame. And you start hearing things like this. Do you realize how disappointed God is in you? How could God ever really love a person like you? You have messed up your life. You're worthless. Ever heard that, felt that? Because these demons are really, really good at what they do. So are you creeped out yet? Should be. We are in a spiritual war. And if we don't recognize that, we are more likely to be casualties in that war. We have an enemy who's looking for a foothold. He's going to lean into your depression. He'll use that to gain a foothold in you. He's going to lean into your sexual sins. He'll use those to gain a foothold. He'll lean into your greed. He'll lean into your bitterness, into your prejudices. He'll nurse the shame and the guilt that you feel afterwards, seeding thoughts of worthlessness and self-destruction. He works to divide a husband and a wife to undermine your marriage. He will niggle you to make poor financial decisions. He'll encourage you to ruin your bodies, destroy your health. He works on our kids. He works on our kids a lot. He wants to crush them, and he wins way, way too often. He wants to steal our joy. He wants to steal our souls. Because he hates God and he hates what God loves. So he hates you. Fortunately, Jesus is infinitely stronger. Infinitely stronger than he is. Let me show you. Mark chapter 5. That's where we're going to be. Mark chapter 5. If you've got a Bible on your phone or your tablet, find Mark 5. If you don't, you might have one of those old-fashioned paper Bibles. We've kind of asked you to move into the center, so we've moved you out of the light where you can read them. Sorry about that. But the verses are going to be on screen as well. Mark chapter 5, starting with verse 1. Mark says this. He says, they went across the lake. He's talking about the Sea of Galilee. They went to the region of the Gerasenes, which means that they're no longer in Jewish territory. They're now in Gentile territory. And it says, when Jesus got out of a boat, a man with an impure spirit, that's pretty literal translation, a man with an impure spirit comes out of the tombs to meet him. And that's how Mark opens up the most vivid, most detailed story in his whole book. In fact, it is the most detailed, the longest story in any of the Gospels about Jesus' confrontation with a demon. And there's a whole lot to learn in this story. It reveals the complexity of evil. It shows how evil works in our lives. And it shows us the only way, the only way that evil can be defeated. And this is one of those places where people get squirrely. 
What do you mean he had an impure spirit? Maybe he was just crazy. How do you know he wasn't just sick? Maybe he had epilepsy or something like that, and they just figured that he was demon-possessed. Back then, they didn't understand how things worked, did they? They blamed everything they didn't understand on some evil spirit, didn't they? Disease, mental illness, weirdness. They were just more simplistic and naive than we are, right? Yeah. Maybe not as much as you think they were. Over the Gospel of Matthew, there's a verse that tells us that they aren't as primitive as sometimes we think they were. Matthew says this. He says, people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. He knows the difference between those things. There's a difference between those who are physically sick, those who are epileptic, even those who are tormented by a demon. In fact, the verse may actually tell us they even recognize the difference between a demon and mental illness. Can't see it in this, but the Greek word that Matthew uses here for seizures literally means moonstruck. Lunatics. Lunar ticks. Word that we still use has become a little bit pejorative in our culture. They knew there was a difference between physical disease, mental disease, and demonic oppression. But they also knew something that sometimes we forget. These things can be linked. They can be intertwined. Sometimes our troubles have both a physical side as well as a spiritual side. Did you know that? And if you treat just one side of it, you're still not going to get well. There's an old dead guy named Richard Baxter. He was a pastor back in the 1600s. What he said is still true today. He was talking about depression. Have you guys ever battled depression? I bet you have. About everybody in this room has battled depression at some point. He says that there are four things that can contribute to our depression. You might add to this list, but he said there are at least four. Smart guy. He says sometimes our depression is just physiological. It's just biology. Something's wrong with your body. And maybe if that's what the problem is, he says maybe you just need some good food, some good rest, and some good medicine. Just purely biology, physiology, fix the body, the depression's gone. Makes sense. But he says sometimes there's a moral cause for our depression. And you've been there. Sometimes depression is caused by shame and guilt. You messed up, and it's weighing on you, and you know it. So sometimes, he says, the solution to depression is repentance and confession and forgiveness and grace. And sometimes, he says, depression has a mental cause, a psychological cause. We get lonely. We get discouraged. And if that's the cause of your depression, what you need is some love, some support. You need someone to talk to. You need some community. You need a healthy family. You need a healthy church family. And he's right. And then sometimes he says, there's a demonic cause to our depression. Sometimes demons slip in. And they do everything they can to break us down. And sometimes what you need is prayer. Sometimes what you need is the strength of God. But here's what we need to hear. Baxter says sometimes there's more than one cause. Sometimes our depression has more than one root, and we don't recognize it. And if you don't recognize it, it's hard to work on it. If your depression is caused by sin and you try to fix it by eating right, good luck. It's not going to work. What you need is some repentance and some grace. 
guys, we're hybrids. We're physical creatures and spiritual creatures. There's a physical side to us and a spiritual side to us. You can treat the physical all you want. If there is a spiritual side to your problems, there have to be spiritual solutions as well. That's the reason sometimes we stay sick. Listen how the Apostle Paul puts it. He says, don't let sin. Don't sin by letting your anger control you. It makes sense. Don't sin by letting your anger control you. Here's what happens if you do. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives sin a foothold for the devil. It gives him an opening. Makes, he slips in through those things, makes things worse. Your addictions can do that. Your lust can do that. Your greed can do that. Any sin, unless it's taken care of, can give Satan a foothold until gradually you become more and more under his control. So there's this guy with an impure spirit, a demon, apparently living in a cemetery. He comes up to Jesus. It really doesn't say he was demon-possessed. It's kind of the way we phrase it. Talks about him being under the influence of a demon. And there's some people who come absolutely under the influence of demon. We would call that possessed. Others start just by getting a little bit under his influence. And I think we have all been there. We give Satan a foothold. We start buying into his lies. And the bottom line is you are not smart enough, you're not strong enough, you're not good enough to defeat Satan or any one of his demons on your own. Any of us can give them a foothold. We let them influence us. This guy's just way further down that path than we are. He's under their control. And this is what Mark says about him. He says, this man lived in the burial caves and he could no longer be restrained even with a chain. Says whenever he was put into chains and shackles as he often was, he would snap the chains from his wrist. He would smash the shackles. Nobody was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night he wandered among the burial caves and in the hills, howling, cutting himself with sharp stones. If you step back and kind of look at what's going on, you can see a pattern of how evil works in every single one of us. First, this guy was empowered. Then he was enslaved. First, he was given this amazing strength. And then he was enslaved and his life was ruined. That's the pattern. Satan empowers us. He makes life seem great. And then he enslaves us. And have you guys heard of an old guy named Faust? Have you ever heard of Faust? You have, even if you don't know the name. Way back in the 1500s, according to legend, he, he was a very successful man, but he wanted more. So he made a pact with the devil. Ever heard of those? He made a pact with the devil. He was given unlimited knowledge. He was given access to all of the pleasure that he wanted in the world. And all he had to give up was his soul, Right? Sometimes we come pretty close. And it worked out great for Faust for a while. The problem is that deal never closes well. And it's become a pattern for so many of other stories. That's why you've heard this story, right? That may have been the first one time it occurred in literature, but you've heard about it all the time. People sell their soul to the devil and he gives them a great gift. And after that, they're trapped. Can you think of any examples? How about the guitar player? No, brother, where art thou? Oh, where art thou? Remember that guy? Sold his soul to the devil. Or if you're old enough, do you ever see the, the player of the movie, Damn Yankees? 
That's what it's about, isn't it? Or if a little younger, Star Wars, Revenge of the Sith, Ghost Rider, The Witch. Themes all over our movies, our songs, our TV shows, our books. Because it's how they work. They infiltrate, they contaminate, they dominate, and they devastate. At first, it's great fun. It's empowering. And eventually, we lose control until finally they destroy us. Eventually, this guy's living in a cemetery, mutilating himself. Because Satan never comes up to us and says, I'm going to give you such an obsession with your career that eventually you're going to destroy your family. He never tells you, just give in, just do it. I'm going to give you such an obsession with her that eventually you're going to lose your wife, your kids, and your faith. He never tells you flat out, do you want power? I'm going to give it to you. Do you you want pleasure? I'm going to give it to you. Just follow my lead, but eventually I'm going to own you. And eventually I'm going to devastate everything you love. He sneaks in, takeovers gradual, and at some point you just kind of look down and say, how in the heck did I get here? Right? In fact, wherever we're gathered, there are people who are falling under his influence. Maybe you're at one of those initial stages when it feels good. You feel empowered. You feel great. Maybe some of you are a little further down that path. You're beginning to feel trapped. You're beginning to see yourself hurt people that you love. But you're not sure how to break free. Because your sin's stronger than you are and your enemy is way, way stronger than you are. But there's a way out. Last piece of the Jesus story, verse 6. When Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him, he ran to him, he bowed down low before him, and with a shriek he screamed, why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. Because Jesus had already said to this spirit, come out of this man, evil spirit. Then Jesus demanded, what's your name? The guy said, my name is Legion, because there are many of us inside this guy. And the evil spirits begged him again and again not to send them off to some distant place. There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on a hillside nearby. Send us into those pigs, the spirits begged. Let us enter them. So Jesus gave them permission. Evil spirits came out of the man. They entered the pigs, the entire herd. About 2,000 pigs plunged down the steep hillside into the lake. And there they were drowned in the water. What a weird story. This guy whether he knew what he was doing or not, did exactly the right thing. Ran to Jesus and he bowed down before him. Ran to Jesus and he bowed down before him. He went straight to Jesus and he bowed down before him. Maybe it was the demon running to Jesus to surrender before Jesus went to war. I don't know. All I know is now he's in a spot where he has a chance. Demon actually starts begging Jesus, please don't hurt me. Please don't hurt me. This is kind of funny. It's a funny story. I mean, there were a lot of exorcists back then, just like there are a lot of exorcists around today. And they would use all these magic words, magic formulas. They'd call on the name of God. They'd call on the power of God. They'd call on God's help, not Jesus. Jesus looks at them and says, get out. And that's it. No chance, no formulas, no magic. He doesn't even call on the name of God. You know why? 
because he is God. On the other hand, and this is the funny part, this, I don't know if you've ever seen this, it really is cute. The demon calls on God to help him against Jesus. The demon actually calls on God to assist him against Jesus. He really does. Great verse. Verse 7, he says, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In the name of God, in the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. Please, by the power of God, don't torture me. In God's name, don't hurt me. You got to admit, that's a little funny. Jesus then demands his name. I suspect that's for our sake. I think he already knew who he was. The demon says, my name is Legion, because there are many of us inside this guy. This is not a one-on-one. -on -one. Legion is a military term. During that time, there were about 6,000 soldiers in a Roman legion. In other words, this is one on thousands. Jesus against thousands of these powerful spiritual creatures. And it's no contest. I don't care how many there were. Jesus wins, still does. By the way, if you're bothered about the pigs, come back Wednesday night. I'm not going to deal with it at all tonight or this morning. We do dig a little deeper into these stories on Wednesday evenings, and we're going to play with that part of the story then. Anyway, when it's all said and done, you come to verse 15. The guy's sitting there, fully clothed, perfectly sane. Everybody's watching. You notice what they were feeling? Then they were what? Then they were afraid. Then they're afraid. They just saw Jesus kick this legion of demons out of this guy. Then they're afraid. Smart. Who is this guy? Who is this guy with absolutely irresistible power over disease? Who is this guy with absolutely irresistible power over nature that he can say, shh, and a storm calms down? Who is this guy with irresistible power over demons? Next week, we're going to see that he has irresistible power over death itself. And why is it that all these amazingly powerful things bend their knees to Jesus and some of us don't? We've got to make a call. Who is Jesus? Who is he to you? Listen, guys, Jesus came to set the captives free. That's what he told us. I came to set the captives free. And he's talking about us. This is deadly serious. There are some people in this room right now that are wondering whether or not Satan is influencing you too much. Some of you guys have already given him a foothold. And some of you guys know that he's already started to control you. Some of you guys have already seen that he's beginning to destroy you and the people that you love. And you've come to the conclusion that you are not good enough, you're not strong enough, you're not smart enough to fight him on your own. Jesus came to set the captives free. Why don't you let him? He's infinitely more powerful than anything else that can come against us. Why don't we bend our knees to him? Let me pray for you. Father, we're kind of sobered when we hear stories like this, and it's, it's a part of life that we don't usually acknowledge, but it's there. 
We live in a world where you are present. We also live in a world where there are spiritual forces arrayed against us. And when we deny that, we just go through life blind and weakened. Give us the wisdom to see the world through your eyes. Give us the wisdom to look for your strength and your freedom. Give us the wisdom to be people of God. We love you dearly. In the name of Christ we pray, amen. Guys, our team's gonna come up here in just a minute and they're gonna sing a song. During the song, basically, some of you guys just need to get right with God. There may be spiritual forces working on you and you just need to call on him. Put him back at the center. He's the only one that can defeat him. Some of you guys have never started your life with God. Don't wait. Don't wait to do the right thing. If you need to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, I'm going to sit right there. During the song, come on down and let's talk. If you're a little bit nervous doing during the song, I'm going to hang there after the service. Just hang and let's talk for a little bit. Or it may be that you're just kind of drifting along and you just need to make a church a home. We weren't made to go it alone. If you want to make Capital City your home, I'm going to be sitting there. Come down. Let's chat about it. Let's get this thing done. Let's stand and give him the honor and the praise that he deserves.